All right, North-South Connection podcast family, welcome to the latest edition of The Wrestler That Was. I'm Aaron, I'm your host on this journey where we're trying to break down and really see who the greatest wrestler in WWF, WWE history. And I'm going to be honest, it took me three takes to get that because WWE just doesn't roll off the tongue and it never will and it was a bad name and let's just move on. So, um... But really, all these podcasts are just a love letter to uh, wrestlers of yore. We're kind of deep diving into each uh, guy's career, breaking them down in various categories. And this is episode number four. So, so far, we've dealt with Jake the Snake Roberts, Razor Ramon, and the Animal Batista. And for this, we're going back to the 80s. But before I do, look, I don't want to, I just want to give a quick shout out to everything that's going on in the North South Connection Podcast Network. Whether it's JT and Chad killing it on Warzone, breaking it down, the Monday Night Wars, working their way all the way. God, they're in September of 96 right now. They are breaking down one of the most important periods in wrestling history. That's a ton of fun. Uh, JT and Marcus always killing it on uh, WWE War, wrestling above replacement. They're going through NXT. That's a ton of fun right now. Clotheslines and headlines, Ryan Gray killing it with Mike Rossi, Rocco Martone, Mike Eller sometimes too. I don't know if he's on the latest one, but he was definitely on the first one and he definitely did a great job. New Gen on a mission with Pratt and Slomka. Uh, the Ruthlessly Aggressive podcast, uh, which is always uh, an incredible, an incredibly fun listen. It's been with us since the start, probably our most consistent show. And um, Jake is, I mean, Jake is just killing it. So look, if this is your first time listening to North South, please consider giving these other shows a, a chance. They're all evergreen and uh, all there for your enjoyment. So if I missed anybody, it's just because I got a lot to get through. So the wrestler that was back in the 80s. And we, of course, are dealing with uh, someone who I think I think over the course of history has been somewhat maligned. And as I did a deep dive into him, I, I really do feel that my, my thoughts on him kind of changed. So when I started watching wrestling in 1987, I was terrified of Andre the Giant. I knew Bobby Heenan was an asshole. I thought Jimmy Hart was a fucking pussy. But there was no one. No one I hated as much as the fucking honky-tonk man. This dude was Intercontinental Champion for 14 months. And I... Never once saw him win a match. And I didn't even see him win the Intercontinental title till years later when they released that Intercontinental title DVD, right? And him holding on to this title for so long and never winning and, and getting DQ'd and counted out, as a child, it's like it's like the highest possible level of injustice. 
right? Like he would either walk out or smash someone with a guitar or a megaphone or his girlfriend would interfere. Like it was, it was all madness and it was all maddening, but he was the ultimate piece of shit. So let's see how he fares. So as you know, we're breaking guys down into 10 categories, each getting a score out of 10. That gives us a nice round number out of a hundred. Easy to understand. The first category with the honky tonk man is narrative. Honky Tonk Man, born on a pool table at Joe's Bar and Grill in Memphis, Tennessee. At least according to his promos, that's where he was born. So an Elvis impersonator appears in the fall of 1986, and he is immediately hated, despite an endorsement from Hulk Hogan himself. Hogan declared that this dude trained and ate his vitamins, but that didn't matter to Gorilla Monsoon who when this dude showed up, shit all over him. And nor did it matter to the fans, who immediately go out and say, what? And who? And fuck this. This would not stand for Honky. He knew he had the support of his fans. He couldn't believe, and and why would he? He couldn't believe that they would be against him. So Honky asked for a vote of confidence from his fans. He wanted to know if they approved of him. The answer was a resounding no. Of almost 700,000 people surveyed, only 70,000 supported the honky-tonk man. Now this prompted our hero to declare that he was done with kissing babies and he would start slapping babies instead. Quickly, he hired Jimmy Hart as a manager and promoted Jimmy Hart to the rank of colonel. Now, little is known about Jimmy's previous rank, Uh, But I believe at the time, it was widely accepted that he was, in fact, a power bottom. Then he starts, Honky starts a fight with Jake the Snake. When when Jake dared, and I mean dared, to mention that people did not like him. Despite the overwhelming evidence that Jake was telling the truth. Jake also insisted that Honky use a snake as a microphone. So maybe Honky's fury wasn't entirely unjustified. Perhaps... Honky, in this moment, in that snake pit, was simply enraged at the sight of Jake's t-shirt tied in a tidy bow. Regardless, all Honky wanted to do was sing. And the people and Jake just kept on harassing him. See, the lesson here, okay, the lesson here is that you shouldn't, you shouldn't keep someone from something they're passionate about. Honky would then bash Jake's head in with the guitar, bludgeoning him to the point that he enlists Alice Cooper to help combat Jimmy Hart. Alice's rank in the military, I still can't confirm. But both heavy metal and snakes would fall to Honky Tonk Man and his rockabilly in the spring of 1986. But when opportunity knocks, though, one must be ready to seize the day. Out of nowhere, Honky is given a shot at the Intercontinental Champion Ricky Steamboat, and he wins the title. Now, this still may stand as the biggest upset in company history. Honky would be a fighting champion, though, defending against all comers. Now, his win-loss record didn't reflect a glorious reign. But regardless, he held on to that championship. He then, perhaps a tad prematurely, begins to declare himself the greatest intercontinental champion of all time. And in his mind, he was. He had been champion at this point for three months and had amassed zero victories. But this drew the ire of former Intercontinental Champion, Macho Man Randy Savage. And on one particular night, Savage was about to win the title from Honky when the Hart Foundation came to their friend's rescue. The trio concussed Savage, 
and even threw Miss Elizabeth to the ground. This prompted Elizabeth to enlist the aid of Hulk Hogan. The man who had originally endorsed Honky Tonk Man was being pulled into the fray. That's how threatening Honky was. It created the greatest force in the universe in response to his actions. Honky was such a tremendous threat that he birthed the mega powers. He is like the Loki of the WWF. Honky would continue to lose to Randy Savage by either disqualification or countout for the remainder of 1987. I mean, any time the title was not on the line, Savage would beat him soundly. But that was strategy on Honky's part. Why win matches you don't have to, right? Now, the pride and joy of most men is their families. But for Honky Tonk Man, it was his incredible hair. He loved his quaff so much that the mere touch of it would enrage him during a match. This, no doubt, is what attracted the mysterious Peggy Sue to the greatest intercontinental champion of all time. See, on television, Peggy Sue was the portrait of femininity, jumping up and down and, and fawning over everything Honky did. On the house show circuit, she was more aloof, only wanting to make love with the lights off and explaining that her hairy face was a family curse. Honky's hair had brought him love. But also, it brought him into a conflict with a barber named Brutus. Honky did not want to disappoint his fans at SummerSlam 88. He wanted to defend against Brutus Beefcake. But unfortunately, a cowboy cut up the barber with his spurs. Now, this prompted the Honky Tonk Man to go out on that fateful night in Madison Square Garden and demand that they, Just get me someone out here to wrestle! Now, after over a year of ducking challenges and stealing away with the title, he had invited a storm into the ring. That storm, that tempest, was the ultimate warrior who ran down and obliterated him in 30 seconds. A new champion was crowned. Perhaps had Honky's hubris not been so built up by those 70,000 faithful who supported him through thick and thin, he might not have been so blasé about inviting anybody down to the ring for a fight. How could he do otherwise? It wasn't in Honky's DNA to let down his fans. They came to see him sing. They came to see him dance. And maybe wrestle. Honky now spiraled fast. Never wanting to disappoint his fans, he knew what needed to be done. He convinced longtime friend Greg Valentine to form a band with him. And Rhythm and Blues was born. Hunka Hunka Honky Love was a blockbuster hit. But their in-ring exploits were few and far between. I mean, how could this be Honky's fault? His fans were still cheering him on. But with two years together and zero wins to their name, it really felt like Rhythm and Bruise were at an impasse. Because he knew his fans deserved better, Honky vanished into the shadows from whence he came. Memphis. And also WCW. Now, six years later, Honky would return to reclaim his legacy. He declared himself to still be the greatest intercontinental champion of all time. And it was time for him to impart his knowledge to a protege. Now, the world owes Honky a debt of gratitude for not picking Rocky Maivia. Instead, he introduced the world to Rockabilly. And he would then stick him, sick him on his closest musical competition, the real Double J Jesse James. Now, the feud wouldn't light the world on fire, but it inadvertently brought together the New Age outlaws. Honky just wanted to please those 70,000 fans. And in doing so, for some reason... He birthed two of the most imposing and important tag teams of all time. 
Never one to give up on his public, he returns at the 2001 Royal Rumble and brings joy through the magic of song. He does manage to get some words out to the delight of the crowd before being murdered by Kane. His career, though, would come full circle as noted douchebag Santino Morella started declaring himself, like Honky before him, the greatest intercontinental champion of all time. He even began using a honkometer to track his historic reign. Honky, much like Randy Savage of yore, would not let this stand. He returned to the company and finally won a vote of confidence at Cyber Sunday 2008. However, in an irony of ironies, he was only able to win the match by disqualification. So Morella escaped with the title. Beaten by his own tactics, Honkies sang and danced his way into the Hall of Fame. The honky-tonk man never turned his back on his 70,000 fans. He was there for them and never lost their trust. His whole career was about pleasing them and finally, after 20 years, he was able to please 700,000 and more. Now this is way this is way more consistent than I would have ever imagined a story for this dude. Maybe it's me weaving the narrative of him, but he was just there to please his fans. And if you listen to all of his um, promos, that's what he does. He's there to please his fans and defend his own honor as the greatest intercontinental champion of all time. Yes, he gave that honor to himself. Whatever, he's there to deliver. He just wanted to be loved. And in a crazy, crazy turn of events, he ended up being loved. What an incredible story. I'm going 7 out of 10 for narrative. And to me, this is the close. Like Jake scored a 9 here. And this is the closest we get to that where it's just kind of one thing throughout. All right. Next category. How is he as a face? So, he's the worst face of all time, right? I mean, he's endorsed by Hulk Hogan and the fans still want nothing to do with him. I mean, who on earth, <laughs> who, who thought that this dude, this dude should be slapping hands and kissing people in the front row? Imagine, how, imagine the backlash now if Samoa Joe started kissing people in the front row. I'm sure it would be considered a sexual assault. And they'd still like him more than they liked Honky in 1986. And if you watch the debut match from Madison Square Garden, you're going to see, uh, as a face, a man jumping and flailing around like he's playing to the back of a 10 million seat stadium. Why is he jumping? Why is he pumping his fists? Who thought an Elvis impersonator would be cheered? Has there ever, has there ever been an, an instance where Elvis impersonators have been welcomed anywhere or accepted? They're barely tolerated. Like, they're the one group that you can still commit a hate crime against and you get no consequences. Now, the pivot with the vote of confidence stroke a genius. But my God, the face run couldn't be more of a colossal failure. One person in 10 found this man acceptable. One in 10. But come on now. Rockabilly music, preposterous jumping and striking, the dumbest clothing imaginable. It's no surprise this guy failed as a face. He just has a fucking face you want to punch. So I'm not one to shit on anything really like in this project, but he's a zero, a zero as a face. But next category is heel work. And boy, does he excel here. I love 
love the idea of a guy who's so delusional that he think everyone he thinks everyone loves him. Every promo he does, he mentions how he loves his fans and how much he wants to please them, and the insincerity like drips off the man. But it's a weird insincerity in that he believes the fans love him, but he deep down has nothing but contempt for the fans. He knows, though, that everyone is there to hear him sing and watch him dance, and damn it, he's going to give it to them despite the booze, all right? He's basically going to assault them with song and dance regardless of their consent. Also, he's the weakest man in the promotion. Maybe maybe the world, right? And he gets <laughs> he gets put over the second biggest hero in the promotion, Ricky Steamboat. He does nothing. Honky does nothing. To earn what he has. He, as a, as a character, is completely inept. He can't win matches. He constantly runs away. Yet, he loses none of his bravado match to match. In great fashion, too, he displays the most, the arrogance that most great villains have. So much so that ends up biting him in the ass. And even in defeat, he still believes that he's loved. Now, it would be easy to play this guy off as a complete comedy character... But what's interesting about Honky is on top of all the buffoonery, it's, there's a real vicious streak, right? So in a segment where he beats down Jake with the guitar, one shot is not enough. He smashes him and smashes him. And you could, it's, it's such an interesting shift because he goes from like, ah, I love everybody. It's, he's super happy. But then you can see like pure hatred in his face. It's similar to how he treats Elizabeth. He's a cheap bully who hides behind the veil of like this being this magnanimous performer. And I love that on commentary, Jesse Ventura would always warn people against making him mad. Because when he got mad, people ended up getting hurt. I mean, I guess the Bushwhackers didn't get hurt when they wrecked his concert. But how do you hurt those assholes? They're, they're indestructible. They basically poisoned themselves with sardines in people's heads for years. You think, you think that beating them at all is going to do anything? But it's a nuanced thing. Because like, he acts like he loves the fans. But he hates them for rejecting them. But he's still playing to those 70,000. It's, it's way more nuanced than I would have imagined going in. And again, maybe I'm overthinking it. But I just think it's really well done. It's not the kind of thing you really see anymore. I wasn't joking too when I said he was my most hated. And I don't think it's just me. The whole world hated the guy. Listen, go back and watch a Saturday Night's Main Event or a house show. Uh, when he comes down to the ring for one of those five-minute dance sessions before his matches... The heat is off the charts, man, because no one respected him. People respected Andre. They were afraid of Kamala. But Honky represented pure injustice. And that's why he is one of the most effective villains of all time. And you wouldn't imagine this dude to be a villain with how he looks, but he was. And that's why I'm going nine for heel work. So just one step below Jake. Let's rank their characters. And I'll be honest, this is... This is pretty easy to rank their characters. Face character sucks. Heel credibles and characters incredible. I wish I had more to say, but why waste time on the obvious? Next category, work. So work meaning how does he, what does he do in the ring as opposed to does he have great matches, which is coming up. So work, I, I, think, it's, I think it's a pretty safe assumption that I can say with confidence that the Honky Tonk Man is one of the worst offensive wrestlers of all time. Not that he's offensive, but just his offensive maneuvers. He might also be offensive. He does throw a pretty decent punch, 
but everything else just looks paper thin. Go back and watch his elbow drops. Watch the way he puts his arm in the air before dropping. It's freaking absurd. I guess the idea is that as he's going down, he's throwing the elbow uh, down before him right on the point of contact. But when the con... <laughs> when the contact is that weak, the whole... It's not like the people's elbow. The whole thing looks ridiculous because the people's elbow looked dumb, right? But it looks at least like Rock was throwing himself down. It looked like it could hurt on contact. This, when hockey does it, it looks like he's setting up a target from above and then making sure the elbow falls exactly on that target, which is... Which would be fine if it was somewhere other than like beside the dude's shoulders. I'm torn on his finish. The shake, rattle, and roll. On one hand, it looks like literally nothing. You're just flipping a dude onto his back from a bent over position. It's, it's not that far a fall. It is less convoluted than MVP's playmaker. But still, I mean, how, how is the impact of this, this move any different than your basic flat back bump? But isn't that the perfect finish for this soft motherfucker? Like, as much as I think the move is trash... I'm such, such a mark for the little dance he does beforehand. And, and the, sheer, the sheer glee on Honky's face as he sets up the dude is, is perfect. Then he goes side to side like he's having the time of his life. He's so, this guy's so fucking excited when he sets up the shake rather than roll. I'm guessing it's because he never got to beat anyone of consequence with it. But man, every time he cinches it in, he's in a state of pure bliss. And to make it worse, it, I mean, it's got to be the, the most reversed finisher in company history. Like, he gets you there, he starts doing his dance, you backdrop him, you're out, right? I mean, he's holding you for a minute and mugging to the audience before he hits it. You know that shit is coming. Fuck, if, if Brutus Beefcake can figure out a counter to this thing, who the hell couldn't? Another one of Honky's great techniques is his ability to place uh, his feet or arms on the rope or grabbing the ropes with his hand, or running away and escaping. These are, these are huge staples of his work game. His guitar shots always look legit. Then again, they, they, they were. Perhaps they missed the boat with hardcore honky. But his selling, I'm, I'm going to throw him some credit here. His selling of a massive beating is second to none. Um, if there's a hot face laying a beating on him, I think he's absolutely incredible. He flips, he flops, he makes these amazing facials like he's dying. He looks like he's on the verge of death. And it's a painful death. It's not a quick death. And like, it's like, I think the performer, Wayne Ferris, like, wait, that's the name, right? Wayne Ferris, yeah. I think he knew that the fans hated him. So when he was getting beat up, he gave them pure suffering on a platter during the face comeback. I mean, the sell of something as simple as an atomic drop, like, yes, it's over the top. Christ, if we can have entire Twitter accounts dedicated to Rick Rude's selling of that, where's the Instagram of Honky getting the shit kicked out of him? Finally, I'll also add that he was a total pro when it came to incorporating character into his matches. I mean, the hair was a major piece of the puzzle. Like he would, he would go in an absolute fury if someone deigned to touch his hair. All the dance moves enrage the fans. He's got a bunch of little subtle looks to the audience, smiles to the fans like he's, he's trying to please them. He's, he's kind of a master at enraging the crowd. And that's got to count for something here because that is included in work. So I was leaning, so as a score at a 10, I was leaning five. I was going to cut it down the middle. Zero for offense, nine or 10 for selling. But I think I'm going to give him a bit of bump 
for infusing so much character into his matches. It, look, if the point of quote unquote work is to get the, a desired reaction out of the audience, then Honky was a master. All under the guise of doing it all for his fans, Honky enraged everybody for 14 months. To this day, I still hate him. But I also love him. It's complicated. Six out of 10 for work. All right, so for matches, what I do is I take uh, the average score of all of his matches on the five-star scale and uh, multiply it by two. So I have, as his average for matches, 2.842. That gives us a 5.648 score out of 10. He only has 10 pay-per-view matches. So I decided to try and go back and watch the, to get the best and worst. I watched the bulk of his 1986 to 1988 MSG run. To give maybe some more meat here. Uh, not many of those matches touch the top or the bottom five. But, uh, you know, all in all, it actually really helped me appreciate him more as a worker. Uh, let's deal with the bottom five matches uh, first, as usual. So, the five, his fifth worst best of all... His fifth, why can't I speak? I'm not editing. His fifth worst match of all time. From WrestleMania 3 versus Jake the Snake Roberts. Two and a half stars. So, you see... Even when he's bad, we're not dealing with anything that bad, usual. Before the match, though, Honky asserts that 90,000 people came out to hear Honky sing and dance. And they're there to hear him sing his hit song called Honky Tonk Mama. They cut this off completely and cut to his introduction. But I love when he comes out, he's all decked out in white. And the cart, the cart driving him to the ring at WrestleMania 3, I love those carts. But it really works well for Honky here. Because it, it, it enhances his ability to dance on the way to the ring. His arms and legs are finally free to like mystify us into a stupor. Uh, but it's great. Now Jake comes down, uh, gives him no time to run away. Which is, which you, got, you have to do that with Honky. You have to jump in before he can run away. And Jake kicks the living shit out of him, right? The, I will say too, the sight of Honky being unable to get the jumpsuit off while catching a beating is incredible to see. I've never seen a man being beaten out of a jumpsuit until this very moment, but I love that with each blow that Jake gives him, he gets that little bit more naked. Um, Jesse, at this point, rightly tells off Gorilla, saying that if Honky jumped Jake before the match, Gorilla would have called it a miscarriage of justice. And I, <laughs> Number one, Jesse's 100% right, and I love that he uses his own verbiage against him. Honky then briefly gets control, Jake but just kills him dead with a short-arm clothesline. Honky hits his second offensive move of the match about three, four minutes into the match. It's a hip swivel into a series of dance moves. And honestly, it's what he's best at, right? Honky keeps kicking Jake out of the ring, but then stupidly brings him back in. Like, as soon as he gets back in, he's dead. Great fist drop by Honky, more dancing over the body. Just follow up, you fucking idiot. (laughs) Stop dancing. Honky gives Jake, like, the weakest kicks to the abdomen you've ever seen. And I got it. I got to applaud his, his focus here because he does get his hair messed up, but Honky presses on. And I love too that, <laughs> I love how Honky thinks that by raising his arms as high as they can go, he can get like maximum velocity on a double axe handle. He even goes up to his tippy toes. Like he doesn't just raise his arms, he raises his whole body. Like, like that, that, that tippy toe action is really going to make a difference, right? Uh, it's so absurd, but it's amazingly absurd. Then Jake starts coming back. Honky gets stuck in the ropes. And Jake, Jake fucking pounds him. But he keeps... It's like he's doing that thing where he's bouncing on the ropes and keeps bouncing up and getting another punch. 
Jimmy Hart interferes when Jake tries for a DDT. And Honky gets the most uncoordinated roll-up I have ever seen for the win. And it's crazy that in Jake's... This is Jake's first... Like, in Jake's first run... So, like, from, like, I don't know, like, 80... When he came in in, like, 86 until 92, I guess. This is the only time he's pinned at WrestleMania until The Undertaker tombstones him out of the company at WrestleMania 8. So, Honky is in the same rarefied air as The Undertaker here. I, I don't know what to make of this. It's a shame. I thought this one was a bit clunky, so two and a half stars. But it was built on a solid storyline, and both guys are capable of better. And sadly... That's the story of most of Jake's that we talked about in the Jake the Snake episode. That's the story of most of Jake's pay-per-view matches. All right. His fourth, Honky. We're talking about Honky. Honky's fourth worst uh, match. From the Madison Square Garden in December of 1986. He's gone heel. No. Yeah, no, he's gone heel here. And he's fighting Sivi Afi. And (laughs) this is awful. He's still wearing... He's still wearing, so he's gone heel, but he's still wearing the fucking dumbass suspenders for this one. And he gets the shit booed out of him as he comes down to the ring. Now, Gorilla rightly calls him the most hated man in wrestling and goes into detail about how the 700,000 people voted in that they hated him. And Bobby Heenan, this is a, this is a very early pairing of Gorilla and Bobby on commentary. Uh, but Bobby seems more interested in discussing how awful the Samoan people are. It's probably one of the more racist rants in company history, uh, and that really covers a lot of ground, so you can see how bad that is. The match between Honky and Siviafi is so slow. Now, if this were anyone else, I might give, like in this next bit that's coming up, I might give Honky credit for this. Instead of the punches to the head, he uses the double axe handle. Different touch. Now, I'd like to say he's doing this because he understands the history of the heads of Samoa and their legendary durability, but I... Maybe he's scared of punching. I mean, I could say that. It might be true, but it's the goddamn honk tonk, man. All right. But then again, I'm here I am thinking he wouldn't put that much thought into it, but maybe he will. He's the guy who gets up on his toes for a double axe handle. But does he think? Is he a thinking man? Right? His two songs that we hear him sing have 25 words between them. I will say though that the crowd at Madison Square Garden does not like it at all when he dances. They are already booing loudly at his mere presence. Man, if this were 2016, uh, he'd be, he'd be, they'd be constantly pushing him as the top face of the company. They'd be like, look, pal, look, he's getting a reaction. Fans don't know what they want. Or Michael Cole going, Honky Tonk Man is the most polarizing figure in all of WWE. So my favorite part of um, the Honky Siviafi uh, match, it has nothing to do with the actual guys. Um, they go outside, so they go outside to the ring, and Honk Tonk Man doesn't pile drive Afi on the floor. And Bobby's like, he should have pile driven him, and, and they kind of get into a bit of an argument with about that, right? And Gorilla, in response to Honky not, like, being like Honky, Hon- Gorilla's like, Honky shouldn't have pile driven him, and Heinen's like, why not? And Gorilla's like, he says sardonically, what else should he do? Use a sledgehammer? Now, he says this in a tone that only indicates that it's the stupidest possible thing he could think of. Someone using a sledgehammer in a match. And it is. Afi misses a monkey flip and honky, honky shake, rattle, and rolls him. Fuck, let's have a parade for the shake, rattle, and roll. For A, being hit, and B, actually ending a match with a guy who has a last name. 
I don't know. I am, I'm at two for this. Uh, this boy is boring, but at least it gives Honky a very rare pinfall win. All right, his third worst match from WrestleMania 4 versus Brutus the Barber Beefcake for the Intercontinental title. Uh, he's defending here. I mean, f- fuck, Honky looks great. All red with the icy title around his waist. Comes down dancing with Peggy Sue. And once again, walking to the ring with pure confidence. Dance party with the guitar. These are always the best parts of his matches. He dances with Peggy Sue for a while. And then he gets on the mic and declares, Thank you, I love you! To the crowd. All his character stuff is so good. And I love that when he takes off the um, the jumpsuit, his, tight, his tights are black with blue writing. Uh, and as a kid, I was sure, sure Brutus was winning here. I love there's a spot at the beginning uh, where Honky's arguing with a child in the front row. I, I don't know what they could possibly be arguing about. I really hope it's the legality of abortion, but who knows? Don't be cruel is printed across his ass. And Honky takes control with some punches to the back of Brutus's head. Uh, apparently no one told him that punching him in the top of the head or the back of the head would hurt him more. I guess we're a few years away from the film Gladiator teaching us that the top of the head was actually the hardest part of the body. Honky with a great sell on an atomic drop. And then Brutus messes up his hair and Honky goes to the outside and screams about, get out of my hair! He's just screaming. <laughs> it's perfect. Brutus continues to work the hair and follows up with a devastating scissor pantomime. Crazy. Brutus then smashes his head into the corner for 10 times while Greek Jimmy Corderas counts very slowly. And Honky just eating a beating here, which is, which is what his matches should be. But, I, you know, what, where this match suffers is Brutus's offense isn't the best either. Honky throwing some good punches, but he can't seem to place them in the proper place on Brutus's head. Uh, more dancing. I don't, again, he goes for the shake, rattle, and roll. He dances for like a minute before. He always does. It always fails. He finally goes for it uh, again, finally, after all the dancing. But Brutus just grabs the rope, and Honky hurls himself to the ground trying to do it. I, I love it. And uh, now Brutus is beating him up, and we are very clearly on the disqualification highway. Honky gets in the sleeper. He's dead. Like, he's clearly... I've never actually seen anybody fall asleep so fast in the sleeper either. He's just immediately out. Jimmy calls the ref over, and when the ref turns around, blasts him in the back with a megaphone. I don't know why more guys didn't demand no DQ or no count-up matches against the dude. I mean, the ref is on the ground crossing the river Styx, and Brutus is celebrating as though he's won the title. And now, it's a fight between Brutus and Jimmy over his barbershop equipment. So Brutus chases him around the ring, and he, he grabs Jimmy, and he put... He puts him down on the stairs, like face down, and then puts his knee in his back. And this is way too close for to a rape for my liking. And then he rapes Jimmy's hair off his head with scissors. Honky's been asleep the whole time. Peggy Sue wakes up Honky with some water. Brutus, of course, has the garden shears and he wants to use them on Honky. I mean, what? I guess he was going to cut his head off. Three refs have to hold him back. Brutus celebrates like he won the title. Fucking moron. Two stars. I mean, really? This is the best we have at WrestleMania 4. All right, second worst match that I've seen. February 1987, Madison Square Garden versus Pedro Morales. As soon as I turn this on, I'm like, this is going to be the dirt worst, isn't it? God fucking damn it. Why did I go back and do the MSGs? This could be something else. This could be a Rhythm and Blues match. I will say, right off the bat, it's weird to see Honky come to the ring without some sort of song and dance. I mean, what, what are we doing here? What are we doing? 
It is, however, a major improvement by February 87 that he does not have the pink suspenders. Maybe I just hate suspenders, right? I've just never liked anyone with suspenders. They're just bad people. Like Honky, Mr. Hughes, my grandfather, none of them. None of them were any good. These guys have to be combined the two slowest wrestlers of all time. And, of course, we start with Honky's patented stalling. But then he eats an atomic drop, and my faith in him is returned a little. Oddly enough, there's little issue between Morales and Honky, and this match is really serving as a backdrop for the burgeoning Gorilla Monsoon versus Slick feud. Honky's hiding in between eating punches from Pedro. There's just, just, just way too much time in between moves. Gorilla, though, on commentary calls him Honker, and I cannot believe and am deeply saddened that this didn't catch on. I'm sure someone politely told him not to over the headset. Morales, at the, midway through the match, Morales is just killing him. He punches him in the stomach, which Honky sells like he's fucking Von Kaiser from Punch-Out. Honky's selling is the perfect amount of comical for me. Then Pedro gets him in the Boston Crab, but Jimmy interferes. And of course, Pedro, you know, instead of just keeping Honky in the hold, has to get up. Honky grabs his legs, pins Morales with his legs on the ropes, and Morales just lies there. Like, no struggle, nothing. He's just honkers for the taking. Truth, not the all-time bad I was expecting. Certainly not good in any way, shape, or form. One and three quarters. Honky's worst match. It's sad almost. From Cyber Sunday 2008 versus Santino Morella. I'm sure I have this too low. I mean, how bad can it be? It's a minute long. So it's a, <clears throat> it's just a vote. It's not a vote of confidence, I guess. I know I mentioned that earlier, but uh, to see who's going to come out and fight Santino. And I, I love, um, we'll do him at some point, but I love Santino so much. For me, the greatest comedic wrestling character of all time. And he, Santino comes out, Unleash the Honkameter. And uh, they're counting this thing in weeks. Honky stands at 64 weeks. Santino's at 11 um, I think the next group project at Place to Be Nation should be an elimination tournament of Honky's weeks as Intercontinental Champion. It's perfect 64. You don't even have to eliminate any. It's fate. should do it. Santino at this point needs to hold the title for one week and one year more to be the greatest Intercontinental Champion of all time. He calls the town they're in Phoenix, which is great, and he declares the town to be the has-been capital of the world. And he goes, Shazam O'Neal came here to, f- <laughs> to fade out and die. Uh, then they fuck with Santino because Shock is there and Santino is clearly very scared. But he's going to end one of the has-beens careers. He declares himself the champion of Earth. And the choices for who was going to fight him was Roddy Piper, Goldust, or Honky. And look, if you voted in this, I, I need to know, who, who could I, how could anyone pick anyone other than the Honky Tonk Man for this? Because Honky barely wins by 1%. It's like 34% to 33%. How is this this close? That's a miscarriage of justice. Honky comes out to huge cheers, which is really strange. And maybe surprising because he looks genuinely happy to be cheered. Maybe he's surprised. He loves everybody. He thanks the crowd. They cheer. He looks great here. He doesn't look like he aged that much. Uh, He does kind of lose the crowd with a pun-filled promo. Honky then declares that Santino could be Intercontinental Champion for 10 years and would never compare. Uh, Sadly, that's true because the title at this point doesn't really mean anything in the post-Road Dog era. 
So Honky's going to sing, of course. And the crowd doesn't know what to make of him. I, were they older fans? But then he dances and doesn't sing. And then Santino does some sort of a dance in response. But then he punches Honky, matches on. Honky keeps the junk su- jumpsuit on. Probably a good thing. Then we would have really seen if he'd aged. Santino runs and hides. I feel like it's a tribute match to the Honky Tonk Man with Santino running and hiding. The crowd is completely dead. I am so disappointed in them. Honky gets a headlock uh, with punches. Like, bam, 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 while he's got him there. He goes for the fist drop, but Beth trips him. And that draws the DQ. That? That feels like a rule they impose when it's convenient. Santino screams at her. And look, that look, as much as I think the match and terrible is terrible, like there's so much poetic justice in here in honking winning by DQ while challenging for the Intercontinental title. I gave it zero stars, but I, I don't know. I, that feels really low now. Uh, but now Goldust is coming out. I mean, he's coming to the ring. It looks like he's quite out of shape. Here comes Piper. Now the crowd wakes up. Terrible kick by Honky on Santino. Goldust drops him with like a twisting suplex. Piper punches him. Shake, rattle, and roll. And uh, he's got him in the shake, rattle, and roll. And Honky's yelling, I'm going to break his neck! I'm going to break his neck! Feels like a strange thing for a smiling face to yell, but whatever. Uh, ruthless aggression, I guess. And then Honky tries to get up, but he slips on Goldust's wig as he tries to get up. And it's weird to see Honky like with Piper and Goldust. Like, I, I never imagined this guy having friends. In the past, he was surrounded by employees. And yeah, I'm counting Peggy Sue. So yeah, okay. So that's the his five worst matches. His bad stuff, truthfully, isn't even that bad. It's just boring. There's nothing as offensive as Jake versus Rick Rude. And look, his stuff always has heat, except for the last match, weirdly enough. And I always actually believe that Honky's doing his best. Okay, let's deal with his top five matches. Like, you know, I feel like I feel like I talk glowingly about his bottom five matches, but let's deal with his top five. So this, his number five match, I, you know, it was tied with something else, but I went with this. It's from SummerSlam 89 against Dusty Rhodes. I'm really happy this one made the cut here. I think it's a sneaky little favorite of mine. The music hits and the crowd is, of course, not happy to see Honky. Uh, and he mugs to the camera. He marches to the ring as though he's fucking beloved, waving and nodding to the audience. He dances and removes the faux belt from around his waist. Dusty comes out like a polka dot cop. It's awesome. Dusty's also dancing. Man, there's so much there's so much dancing in 80s wrestling. Heartbreak Hotel on the back of, of Honky's red tights. Hair, spectacular. Huge curl on top. And Jimmy wants Honky. Jimmy's yelling, you should show him how to dance, baby. Dusty's strutting. The crowd's going nuts. And Dusty gets him in the corner and then steps away and shakes his ass at him. This infuriates Honky. So Honky runs at him and gets backdropped. Then Honky flees at the sight of a dusty elbow. Now, I like, I jokingly did something similar at an Olive Garden as a joke last week. I kind of fell backwards, like joking, like as though the elbow was there. And I fucking destroyed a Venetian blind. Dusty then twists the arm, but instead of elbowing him, he messes up his hair and Honky goes fucking nuts, right? He starts swinging his arms wildly. He swings so much at Dusty, but he gets it caught in an atomic drop. And I love that the story here is just Dusty making Honky angry. Atomic drop devastates Honky. He eats an elbow. Ten punches in the corner. Honky flop. Honker flop, we should call it. Dusty then twists his arms and twists Honky's leg while he's wiggling his ass. Like Honky's on the ground. He's kind of, it's almost like a, it's almost like a toe hold, but not, not a reverse toe hold. I don't know what you call it, but it was funny. Um, 
they do a close up uh, when he takes control, uh, headlock punches, and like they do a close up on Dusty's ass. And Jesse then says, Dusty recently won a contest for most abs. Uh, I love it. Dusty gets tripped by Jimmy Hart. And they come in the ring, and, and like there's all this confusion. Like Hart, Jimmy runs in the ring, and Honky hits Dusty with the megaphone right in the liver spot. I mean, who's being cruel now? That only gets two, though. Kicks to the stomach. Dusty's in trouble. Things slow down a bit. Reverse chin lock from Honky. Uh, hope spot that Dusty has is ended by Honky getting a knee in the gut. But then Dusty's fighting his way up. Goes for the elbow, but misses. Honky controlling is controlling this match way more than I remember. And as much as I shit on his offense, I think it's actually fine here. Jesse's talking about too how like Honky's wearing him down. He's wearing him down. But like he's kind of wearing my patience down a bit. Dusty starts to dream up though. Dancing jabs from Dust. The crowd is into it. Honky throws Dusty into the refs. Jesus, what did the ref do to deserve that? Now, Jimmy is going to hit Dusty with the guitar, but Dusty moves and Honky gets it. Big elbow drop. One, two, three. Dusty wins. I find this match super fun. It's like six minutes long. Uh, more offense from Honky than I remember, but still really fun. Dusty's awesome. Um, I'm at three and a quarter. I, I think it's a lot of fun. And I was about to turn it off because like, I'm just going to watch the match. But, <laughs> but then Sean Mooney um, comes down the aisle and talks to Honky. After his being hit in the head with the guitar and the elbow drop. And Sean's like, Do you know, uh, can you name that tune? And Honky starts rambling about uh, Zilla and Lisa Marie. And there's a lot of people that came out here to see me. Um, all the while, he's like furrowing his lip and he looks like he's about to throw up. And he goes, Somebody, somebody help me find, somebody help me find a stage. And he's so out of it, his eyes are glossed over. He might have really been, he looked legit concussed. I know he wasn't, but. Also, when they show the replay, it's all perfectly timed to Dusty's music, like perfectly. Anyway, great stuff here. Fourth best match from the main event, February 88 versus the Macho Man Randy Savage. And this is the culmination of the entire Macho and Honky feud. Honky clearly deserves to die here for all the bullshit he's pulled. The intro to the show is basically Macho promising. He's like, he's basically promising to end his life. Honky is all smiles. He charges down to the ring, uh, engaging, of course, his loving public. Dancing, completely out of control. Um, Fink has to say, coming down the aisle is the girlfriend. Which is crazy. And Honky's just having a party in the ring. All three, him and Jimmy and Peggy Sue are dancing together. He starts singing. Three people dancing in a ring together. And the only people in the building who are enjoying it are the three of them. It's so long. It's tremendous. Then we cut to a Savage interview backstage and there's this, this party going on in the ring and there's such a great contrast and they're dancing and Savage is like, Savage is going so crazy that Elizabeth looks like legit worried that her husband's about to go to prison. He's screaming, vengeance is mine. And, and we cut back to the ring. They're still fucking dancing. And then <laughs> Savage's music plays and Honky looks legit annoyed that Savage's entrance ended the party. And it's like, Jesus, you're there to wrestle. Like, you're, you're, you're actually there to wrestle. Honky starts, and Savage is, like, chasing him around the ring. Like, he's going to murder him. Honky starts dancing in front of Elizabeth while Savage is distracted. That is a huge mistake, because the man is already angry. And I, this makes me laugh so much. There, There's a point where, like, Savage is chasing them, but three people are running away from Randy Savage. 
Honky, Peggy Sue, and Jimmy. I I have never <laughs> I've never seen three people run from one man with such fear in their eyes. Like I can't stress how funny it is to me that like the three of them are scared for their lives from the Macho Man. So the match starts. Jimmy holds Savage's leg so Honky can finally get some offense in. Honky tries a sunset flip, but since he has no strength in his arms, he can't make it work. Honky only takes the advantage when he makes a mistake. And even when he does, Honky gets one or two moves in, uh, some bullshit, and, and then that's it. But there's all kinds of chicanery here as Honky gets Savage in the tummy with the megaphone. And then like, when he hits him with the megaphone, Honky has never been more sure of anything in his life than his impending victory. He takes his fucking sweet-ass time, and it only gets two. Honky gives him the shitty kicks. For whatever reason, it works. I don't know. Maybe it's because Honky's so outmatched that the kicks don't bother me. He keeps kicking, and then he'll go dance for Elizabeth. But then Savage just f- fucking starts elbow-dropping him, starts chasing. Jimmy Hart, and Eliz- uh, Jimmy Hart and Honky then corner Elizabeth. And S- Savage sees this, and now Honky's fucking dead. He sprints over and starts murdering him. And the crowd is losing it, by the way. And that's not just because Savage is over. Savage throws him over the top rope. I, I can't say enough good things about how Honky Tonk Man's body goes limp as he goes over the top rope. I've never seen anything like it. Like it, he he throws him and he's got his hand on the ropes and his it's like his it's like his body goes flat and then falls in slow motion. I've, I I don't know how he did it. Close to count off a double axe handle. Crowd losing it. Jimmy gets involved. Honky tries to jump in to save Savage, uh, but Savage fucking destroys Jimmy. The pop is ungodly. Savage gets him in a sleeper. Peggy Sue is out there threatening Elizabeth, though, so he has to jump out to save her. Honky Tonk Man follows, gets rammed into the post, and counted out. Savage wins, but not the title. And now Honky enters the ring with the guitar, which is a great callback. Uh, Honky then backs uh, Savage into the corner, but Jimmy uh, hits him from behind with the megaphone. Savage in the corner on the ground. Elizabeth throws herself in front of him. He's going to hit her because he's hit her before. And then Savage fucking jumps up and grabs the guitar. And look, he swings it. Had Savage connected, Wayne Ferris would be leaving Indianapolis in a body bag. I'm bumping this up to three and a half. I added three and a quarter. I'm bumping up to three and a half. When I was writing about three people running away, I started laughing loudly and woke two people up on a plane. So yeah, it's that good for me. All right, his third best match of all time. From the original Survivor Series, uh, he teams with Ron Bass, Harley Race, Danny Davis, and Hercules to face Savage, Steamboat, Roberts, Beefcake, and Duggan. Like, I'm not going to recap this one in, in its entirety. It's long. There's a ton of other guys. And I find that the Survivor Series matches are, are kind of hard to attribute to one guy or another. But that said, there's no doubt that this one is all about Honky, and it's really good. All the guys who Honky had spent the better part of the last year pissing off are standing on the other side of the ring from him. And after they systematically get rid of all his partners, the beatdown is on. It's pure catharsis as Jake, Steamboat, and Savage kick the living shit out of Honky until he just up and leaves. Now, I don't know why they couldn't just beat him here, but whatever. I still, I love it. I still think it's a lot of fun. Also, it's the first Survivor Series match ever. And Honky carries the bulk of the heat. Yeah, he's in there with great guys right and no doubt guys were figuring out how to put these matches together but the formula in this one with honky is is great honky's a coward and he could only hide behind his team for so long it's just great stuff i'm at three and three quarters all right second best match of honky's career 
October 1987, Saturday night's main event versus the Macho Man Randy Savage. I think this this might I mean, this might be the most important match slash segment in the history of Saturday night's main event. Huge boos as Honky comes down. This is their first encounter, like on one of these, right? The main event was their last one. This is their first one. Uh, Jimmy Hart, I start coming down. Jimmy Hart's using the siren on the megaphone. It's just adding to the annoyance, right? And I will never, ever, ever get tired of watching his pre-match shit. I know we talked about uh, their other match first. Uh, but I think that it's cool that the story in this one is completely different. The main event is all about revenge. This is just about who is better. So Savage is only at about 500% intensity here. Elizabeth is still scared. And Savage says that Honky doesn't know the difference between a guitar string and a G-string. Gene laughs, and then Savage tells him off for laughing. Don't laugh at that, yeah. Honky's upset the crowd is cheering for Savage. Again, great character stuff. When they lock up, surprisingly strong lockup, considering who's involved. And then a cheap punch by Honky. Savage quickly takes him over and makes it look like he's going to run away with the match, right? It's, it's the same same structure as the last one, which I guess is the, the one we talked about. Honky only takes control when Savage gets distracted and then only gets a handful of stuff in before the murder resumes. Unfortunately, Honky can't focus either and keeps trying to get with Liz. I mean, was Peggy Sue not good enough? Savage rushes him on the ropes uh, with the double axe. <laughs> Sensational Sherry is for sure wilder, right? For sure wilder. Anyway, uh, Savage rushes him on the outside, double axe handle. Savage has him beat with a roll-up, but Jimmy gets Honky's legs on the ropes. Savage hits a suplex. Jimmy pulls him off. There's just so much cheating. It's an absurd amount of cheating. Another double axe handle, and Jimmy has to climb into the ring to stop the pin. Savage gets Jimmy, knocks him the fuck out. Huge pop. Honky tries to revive his dead manager. This brings out the Heart Foundation to help. And Honky decides to help Jimmy to the back. But Honky says he's coming back. And for some reason, he's not counted out. Whatever. For some reason, the referee allows Honky to go to the back. And we get a commercial. Then, when we come back, Honky... <laughs> Honky's walking back to the ring. And he looks fucking pissed. Like, what he looks like is like... It's like he went home. Like, something happened with somebody... And he went home and he thought about it. Like he thought about what you said and then he got drunk and got some friends and now he's coming back. <laughs> he looks so angry. And of course, Savage just fucking kills him. Again, to the delight of the fans. No one can escape the weak-ass kicks from Honky though. Honky misses a big fist drop. Savage is all over him. The crowd is molten for this whole match, by the way. Honky is barely surviving as uh, Bobby's like, what a great champion we have here. Now the hearts are beating Savage on the outside. Bobby's laughing like a maniac. Honky drops an elbow. Savage kicks out. The crowd is hopeful. Back body drop out of the shake rather than roll, like usual. Big elbow from the top. And at two, Bret Hart jumps in perfectly. Like, I, I don't know how he could... I don't think he could have timed this better. And, um, and he breaks up the pin for the DQ. And the beatdown is on. The hearts and Honky are going to kill him. Uh, the hearts hold him. Honky gets the guitar. I love Honky doing a tired version of his dance. He's clearly out of breath, but he still cares about his people. Hearts are holding Honky. Honky's going to bash him. But then Elizabeth gets in the way. And Honky does warn her. Then he shoves her right the fuck down. And massive booze. Like, massive booze. But then he dances over her. I, I don't know if he was expecting a date after that shove. Elizabeth runs to the back. He levels Savage with the guitar. And after feigning more a couple times, they keep kicking him. Crowd starts cheering. Elizabeth. 
pulling Hogan to the ring. Honky, surprisingly, doesn't run, but goes on the offense against Hogan. Then he gets run off. The mega powers are born. This whole match, three and three quarters. What a tremendous piece of business this entire thing was. I Birth the mega powers, mega heat. Macho's awesome. Honky was awesome. He wasn't carried. He was great. All right. Honky Tongue Man's best match. Yep. It's this one. It can only be this one. From SummerSlam 88 versus The Ultimate Warrior. And here we are with the culmination of 14 months of terror at the hands of the Honky Tonk Man. And I think this still probably goes down as one of the best surprises the company has ever done. We're expecting Brutus Beefcake, but he gets assaulted by Ron Bass and the Spurs. And Honky... (laughs) In a pre-match promo, says, I'm such a humanitarian, I just want anyone to wrestle. He doesn't even want to know who it is. He wants it to be a surprise. Well, guess what? He's going to get a fucking surprise, right? Uh, already, Gorilla's like, I don't know, that might be a mistake. <laughs> it, Gorilla's tone is hilarious. Like, I don't know. <laughs> he just knows that something bad's happening. And it's interesting when Honky does come out for the match that how the crowd reacts to his entrance, because it's almost a sigh. It's like, oh, because it's 14 months of him always escaping. It's like the crowd is resigned to disappointment. Nobody's ever going to beat this guy. He's going to be Intercontinental Champion forever. And that's much funnier when you know what's about to happen. They announce his opponent. Nobody comes out at first. Finkel doesn't even know. And then Honky goes, just get me someone out here to wrestle. I don't care who it is. For whatever reason, I'll never forget Billy Graham on commentary laughing and going, Don't say that, my man! There's some men in that locker room that'll tear this guy apart! We wait a bit longer. Then the music hits. And the crowd knows what's up. The crowd is fucking losing it when the warrior hits the ring. Honky's on his, in his back within five seconds. So you have to get Honky fast. You have to get him fast before he runs away. It's like hunting a rabbit, Right? Big slam. Warrior going nuts. Huge shoulder block. Destroys him with a clothesline. Honky's selling is so good here. He's making Warrior's offense look freaking deadly. And look, in fairness, it's probably taking years off Honky's life, right? Big splash. Three count. The crowd gives you the loudest, one of the loudest pops you'll ever hear. And it's finally over. After months of running away and getting DQ'd, his hubris goes too far. And he gets mauled by the warrior. So for me, it's a five-star match. And I don't care that it's 30 seconds. Because it's perfect. It's the perfect end to the Honky Tonk Man storyline. He won the title cheaply. He ducked everyone until he got too overconfident and he got demolished. The warrior was the perfect guy to do this too. Honky Honky had zero conceivable shot at beating him. But the whole thing doesn't work without 14 months of disappointment at, at Honky's victories. It's all built to this, this perfect moment. And for once, they didn't whiff. They gave us exactly what it should have been. The first big moment of SummerSlam. And look, still one of the best moments in company history. All right, let's deal with promos. So I got a couple I want to look at. I think, I don't know how Honky, I, before this I wasn't sure how Honky was kind of with promos. So let's look at one from uh, the main event, February 1988. Honky Talk Man, here we go with 
the biggest title defense of your career. Any trepidation tonight? You're no journalist, Green Bean. You're missing the story here. The story here is romance. The lovely Elizabeth Wynn. We know, we know she's head over heels for you, right? Even this bozo can see it. She wants you honky, she wants you bad. And I'm going to oblige her. Being a gentleman, I am the honky-tonk man. What are you saying? What are you saying, man? What I'm saying is this. I've got the title. I've got the belt. And tonight, I'm going to get the woman, the lonely woman. Oh, no. And then where are you going to take her, honky? Where, where are you going to take her, honky? I'm going to take her down a lonely street <laughs> to the heartbreak hotel. You've got to be kidding me. <laughs> Don't you worry. I won't be cruel, because I know she wants me to love her tender, because I'll be her teddy bear. <laughs> and you know where that hound dog Randy's going to be? Where's he going to be? In the ghetto. Oh, Vince, I just hope Elvis, the real Elvis, doesn't hear that. Let's get back to you. But what I like, what I noticed right away is that Honky doesn't allow for Gene to dictate the terms of the interview. He's the star, Honky, not Gene. Gene is trying to push that Honky has some sort of trepidation. Uh, but Honky instead declares that Green Bean Gene Okerlund is missing the story. And he's almost, he's disappointed. It's a great tone. He's disappointed that Gene is missing the story here. And he does a great setup with the chastisement of Gene. But he doesn't really stick the landing with the word romance. There should have been a tone change there, like on romance. I know you're probably hurt, tired of me talking about tone changes, but this is the biggest tell for someone who's not a good actor. They don't change tones like someone should. He should color the word romance with how he feels for Elizabeth, or at least how the night's going to go. And Gene interrupts him before he can tell us how Elizabeth loves him. And he does something interesting here. You'd think he'd get, you'd think Honky would get angry with Gene interrupting him, but he doesn't. Instead, he graciously laughs it off. He's in control, so it, he, he can be magnanimous. Gene isn't the star. Honky's the star. And he's not going to, of course he, would do some, he wouldn't do something low class like interrupt Gene. Gene's a peon next to the majestic honky-tonk man. Great choice of words next, right? He goes, I'll oblige Elizabeth because I'm a gentleman. And he, he kind of starts giving off the idea that like he's doing her a favor by dating her. And since he's from the South, he's always going to give off the veneer of the Southern gentleman. He's going to oblige her because he's the honky-tonk man. And I love how in all his promos, he makes sure to mention his name. And he always mentions it slowly. Honky-tonk man. I love it because it puts it in your head. Gene interrupts. He's never rude, but honky though, because he knows his fans are behind him. And then he lists off all the things that he has. Uh, the title, the belt, and tonight he's going to get the woman. Now, in past segments, I've criticized people for poor lists that don't change. But because when we list things off, they always have a value. Um, and if we're being truthful, they come out in a different tone. And I was about to criticize here, but then I caught something cool. His first two objects on the list are the same. He goes, the title and the belt. There is no way he should have said those back to back. But because they're the same thing, they actually come out in the same tone, right? So he's actually kind of, he's actually kind of clicked in here. And then he says, tonight, I'm going to get the woman. There is, it's like title, belt, woman. There's like a subtle tone change. There's like a, a he goes, woman. He, there's like a, a childlike glee in his voice. 
And then he follows up with a great extended lonely woman. The color on lonely is great. It says nothing about her actually being lonely. And it's it reads as a lambasting of Savage. Now, I don't know why he said I've got the title and the belt. It makes zero sense. It's like me saying I have the AIDS and the HIV. But he then goes into full prick mode, saying he's going to take her down a lonely street. Dances before saying Heartbreak Hotel. Uh, this is also the clue that he's an awful singer. Uh, when he moves, because he goes, Heartbreak Hotel. And when he starts to move, he can't hold the note at all. Uh, we're doing all the song titles now. He does a pretty good job coloring the singing of Don't Be Cruel. It's because it comes off disingenuous. And Love Me Tender, which comes off seductive. He's having a ball. Uh, Jimmy Hart then goes, where's Randy Savage going to be? And then Honky goes, in the ghetto. <laughs> it's so much glee. I, I, I suppose I suppose Honky's going to drop him off there after the match. Look, this isn't an earth-shattering promo or anything, but I think it really gets the character across in a fantastic way. He's a prick. He's going to steal your girl, and, and that's it. So one more here. Um, I wanted to take a look at just a random one, and this is a promo for the Boston Gardens. Let's let's give it a Virgil is going to be here in Boston. Brutus the Barber Beefcake, the Baba, returns to Boston to do battle with his former tag team partner, Greg the Hammer Valentine. Polish power! Ivan Putsky back to meet Hercules from the Bobby Heenan family. After Saturday night... Before you get started, I just want to say... My fans, my people in Boston, I don't appreciate you making fun of the way they talk. You said Baba. Yeah, that's it. You said Baba. We can't help it if they say park the car. But you don't have to say that. You don't have to say Baba. Let the honky-tonk man say what he wants to about his fans, but you don't do it. Don't insult my people. You know, I think you've got bigger problems than calling Brutus Beefcake the barber. You, you've got problems with Macho Man Randy Savage. You have really opened up a hornet's nest. He is problem. a bitter and anger man. And how in the world can this man backhand a woman, Jimmy Easy, Hart? easy. If she gets in the ring, he don't have to this time. I'll send her to the hospital, and that's a promise, baby. Big man, 142 pounds. Big man, he... big macho man with a taped-up fist hit hitting first. Jimmy Hart. That's a big man. Yeah, really. You need it, that's Brad like Hart. some of them people running around the streets of Boston. They think they're big people. I'm walking the streets looking for a fight in Boston. I couldn't find one when I had Bruno there. All his Italian friends were on ringside. None of them would fight either. Macho man's not much of a fighter. He had to go get Hulk Hogan. He had to send his woman. His woman had to come there, stand in front of me and beg and plead for me not to play the song too loud. That's what it was all about. She was just in there. You were going to hit the macho man with that no, guitar. Sir. No, sir. I was going to play the hit for what, it. What did Elizabeth do? She got down on her knees and she reached out and tried to touch me because I told you before and I'll say it again she wanted me she wanted to touch me she wanted to touch the greatest intercontinental heavyweight champion of all time I love tapped her right out of the way and I stepped up and I gave macho man what he needed I gave him what my fans wanted me to give him I gave him this right here and I'm gonna give it Great. to him again Saturday the afternoon show the first time ever in the Boston Garden all of my fans will be there they'll bring the car and they're gonna park it and they're going to watch the honky-tonk man do his thing. Macho man is over. He's finished. And don't make fun of my fans anymore the way they talk. I don't particularly care to have you making fun of them either. Thank you. Uh, forget that. I will not thank them. Boston Garden, Saturday, November the 7th, 2 p.m. in the afternoon. So right away he comes in. He's sorting his stuff out with Gene. And I love that he thinks Gene has the audacity to insult some of honky-tonk man's fans. Honky-tonk man's fans in Boston. He takes issue with how Gene says, Baba. Uh, so in the last promo, I was looking at his tones, uh, but in this one, I think the content is more interesting because more than anything else, 
Hockey's prioritizing making sure his, his fans aren't insulted. He then says it's not their fault. They say, park the car. He, of course, is saying this in an incredibly dismissive tone, but it's all veiled under telling Gene off for doing it. It's so insincere. It's great wording. It's really great. He's finding a way to shit on people while he's defending them. I love it. He's also always strumming the guitar in these things and clearly has never played the guitar in his life. I love, too, that when uh, like his or Jimmy's manhood is called into question, he replies angrily. We don't see him get angry in promos all that much. But like they're like, oh, you're not a man doing that. Well, big macho man with a tape fist. Like he really like you see him get offended, which is good because it, it gives us insight. Like his manhood is something you can't insult without setting him off. That's a subtle little character thing. He then starts to tear into the Italian community in Boston for some reason. I don't know why I love it, but I do. He's also dismissive when he talks of Elizabeth going to get Hulk Hogan. Uh, like he had to get his woman. Like, the tone on woman is awesome. The color there is so good. Because, again, it tells us everything we need to. He doesn't have to say. He doesn't be like, woman, and then explain how he feels about it. We know how he feels about it just by how he says it. Then he spins the whole Macho Man getting beat on Saturday Night's main event by saying, oh, look, I just wanted to play my song for Savage. And, and then Elizabeth was touching him. She wanted to touch the greatest intercontinental champion of all time. He's always selling like, he didn't need to say greatest intercontinental champion of all time, but he did. And then he goes, I love Tapter. The body language on Love Tapped, you can't see it. Obviously, he's listening. The body language on Love Tapped is amazing. He, he just It's just this gentle hand movement, like someone running their hands through silk, not hurling her to the mat like he did. He then brings it back to the guitar and how it's what his fans wanted. Then he drops into the park, the car and chastises Gene for making fun of the fans that he just did uh, before leaving. I think this is a simple and brilliant setup. He wants to insult the fans, under the, but he does it all under the guise of like defending them. I, all in all, I think Honky is a pretty funny promo. Like I think he can use more uh, vocal variety to make him sound more realistic, but I don't know if that's what he was going for. I mean, he saw himself as a massive star, and a massive star has to behave like a star. So I'm going to infuse all his character work into his promos. I mean, I, I don't think he's the best speaker by any means, but everything is designed to insult and enrage the audience, and it does. And yet, he is constantly going on about how much he loves them and wants to please them. It really is kind of like a, a brilliant uh, character and delivery. Uh, so for promo, I'm going to go a five. I don't think he's the best. I don't think he's the worst, but I think he's effective, and I think that, that's got to count for something. All right, let's take a look at historical importance. Um, I mean, how, how do you rate a guy who has 16 months of height amidst three to four years of being murdered by everyone? By, by the winter of 1988, he's maybe one of the most aimless people in the company. Never won a match, wasn't credible to get anyone else over, not quite believable enough to be rage-raped by Priscilla Presley. There's just no point to the man. However... From the time he wins the Intercontinental title in 1987 until the Ultimate Warrior, he's arguably the second biggest heel in the promotion. And even then, for most of 87, Andre isn't on the show. So Honky's kind of the de facto top heel, and he does kill it. He elevates the Intercontinental title to like a main event program as he fends off Savage. And as a consequence, through the Honky Tonk Man's direct action, the Mega Powers are born. And that's huge. Later on, when he decides that Rockabilly needs to be forced on the audience, he indirectly forms the New Age Outlaws. Yeah, I mean, look, they're not as important, 
and would be obliterated by Hogan and Savage, but they're still the most important tag team of the second boom period. He was the man who brought people together. Yes, he brought people together in common hatred of him, but there has rarely been as large a unifier in the history of sports entertainment. But besides being a unifier, for that one year, I think he actually made two huge superstars. Randy Savage was always going to be a top face, but I think he needed an absolute bastard to push him over to the top level. Ultimate Warrior, probably always going to be a top act, but he's given this incredible gift of ending Honky's reign of terror. That moment goes a long way to building the aura of the Warrior. And that's built on the foundation of 14 months of countouts and disqualifications. The Warrior set the world right after Honky desecrated everything in it that was pure. So even on a very basic level, the WWF in the 80s was a cartoon. And he may have been the most cartoony character they had. I mean, Christ, he was a goddamn Elvis impersonator. He sang and danced and wore sequins. He, he helped define the era. And he made the Intercontinental feel important. And I don't think that Honky could have existed in other time periods. Like, imagine, imagine how angry Steve Austin would be at the sight of him. He'd be dead. He'd be in that fucking toilet next to gold dust. Mr. McMahon would have no patience for him either because he hates joy. He'd be murdered by Ken Shamrock. That is if the rock didn't humiliate him into an early grave first. He couldn't be thrown off a cage. He wouldn't fit later either. Man, if, if, there was the, if there was an exact opposite of the term ruthless aggression, it's honky-tonk, man. And yes, I do think Triple H would have come up with some sort of elaborate poses for him. He probably wouldn't have thrived uh, delivering five-star classics with Johnny Gargano. No, no. Honky arrived exactly when he needed to. People were still sad enough about Elvis to tolerate his presence. Right place, right time. And he definitely overachieved during his tenure. I, I think that's an easy statement. Because when he came in as a face, you, you got to think this guy's a complete failure. He's still the longest reigning Intercontinental Champion of all time. And, you know, when he came in, you're not expecting him to set the record for being the longest Intercontinental Champion, but also still to be holding that true like three decades later. How was this dude more successful than Kamala? The guy ate a live chicken and, and, and forced many uncomfortable conversations at my house when someone who doesn't watch wrestling comes in and sees my figure collection. What's that African guy doing there? Who's the other guy with a chain around his neck? Why do you have both of them? What's that white robe? There's too many questions. I also like to look too if they have the best match in the show or worst match in the show. I don't really think that this ever really applies to him. Um, like He has 10 pay-per-view matches. He's got the best match once, the worst match once. So he's kind of in the middle there, right? I, Honky was just unforgettable. He made guys. He drew big money. He was awesome for business, and for a short period of time, he was incredible. I think this is 7 on 10 for importance, which probably feels a lot higher than I would have thought going into this. Let's deal with presentation next. So, none other than Hulk Hogan endorses this guy as he comes into the promotion. I mean, you can't, you can't present someone stronger than that. Now, yes, failed miserably, but the machine was certainly behind him. Once they settled into an acceptable character, though, it's off to the races. And again, for the first two years or so, He's presented as one of the most important characters on television. He was always given time on most shows, and he was usually given promo time too. He was always, always giving dancing time. And best of all, he was given his own song that he got to sing on Pile Driver the album. Let's give it a listen. 
I mean, there's so much to like about this one. I mean, right off the opening riff, you know this asshole is coming. I also love the bass line. I mean, before the opening lyrics, he always manages to, to walk in rhythm to it as he makes his way down the aisle, through his legions of fans, of course. The way he bounces down the aisle as though he's one of the Beatles is completely enhanced by this tune. The song is also enhanced by his constant threats that he's going to sing it. And you know this song because it, you know it, you remember it, you remember the lyrics, even if you didn't have the album. There's a five-minute dance party before every match. Now, he couldn't dance. In fact, his dancing was just wiggling his body and holding a guitar. I suppose this was to, supposed to convince the crowd that he could play. But even now as a picture, I can't help but laugh. Like, he would wiggle the guitar on one side and then thank the audience before moving along. Then he like He's doing the Hulk Hogan shtick with more guitars and less muscles. And you got everything you need to know about the character from this song. He has sideburns, his hair is slicked back, and he's coming to your town. You got Peggy Sue, the colonel, a pink Cadillac potentially borrowed from Dallas Page, whatever. And I love that this song was recorded while he was feuding with Jake, so he's singing about the snakeskin blues. Yet later, um, I distinctly remember him singing about the Macho Man blues in late 87, maybe at the Slammy Awards or something. Maybe, I'm, maybe I'm, I dreamt it or something, but I, I seem to remember that too. And I suppose the warrior ran through him so fast that he had no time to sing about the clothesline blues. Anyway, the song is uh, super memorable. When my son was three, he loved this fucking song. I heard it a billion times, and I rarely got tired of it or rap his crap, which is the other song he demanded to hear. To this day, uh, it can play in any arena. You know which asshole's coming out. And thankfully, we are now many years from fucking over our heroes, so we can cheer for him now. I was sad, though, to see it retired in favor of uh, the inferior hunka hunka honky love. Let's hear it. Way, Greg Valentine's got to be pissed, right? I mean, <laughs> hey, buddy, join my band, and guess what? All our songs going to be about me and all the women and how all the women love me. Also, you're dyeing your hair black. <laughs> I do say that the piano frenzy at the beginning of the song is fun, but who's playing that piano? And don't you fucking tell me it's Dino Bravo because I'd have to reevaluate the keyboard work on All American Boys as well. Anyway, it's not a, it's not bad. It'd probably be a great theme song for someone else, but the problem is, is it's a worse version of his original theme. So I struggle to think that they had nothing else for the guy who had, like, you know, like poor Greg Valentine deserved better. He has these awesome feuds with Tito and Bob Backlund, and he gets the second best Honky Tonk Man song. Come on. His championship reigns, in terms of presentation, really good. I mean, he, he only has the one Intercontinental title reign, but I mean, like I mentioned, it's the great one. It's the great one, actually. Actually, he probably is the best Intercontinental Champion of all time. It was a main event under his watch. 
And it's astounding. It really is astounding that the company hasn't spitefully broken his reign as the longest intercontinental champion of all time. Like, they really get angry uh, with people that leave the company or if they go ahead and die. I mean, you can't just have that person on the books. I mean, maybe they feel so guilty about driving so many people to their early graves or something. I don't know. I love Honky's looks, though. So let's let's break down some of his top looks. So um, <clears throat> his sixth best look. I, I think... I think it's an easily supported statement that his debut attire was the goddamn worst. The teal tights are bad, but what makes it 10,000 times worse are the pinkish purple suspenders. Have suspenders ever worked uh, as part of a wrestling costume? I mean, the only others I can think of are Madcap Moss and the man of a thousand suspenders, Jeff Jarrett. In fact, I don't think suspenders have ever made anything better. All I can think of with suspenders are clowns and that homeless guy with the barrel that, that we've been brought up with. So Honky has pink suspenders, fine. But why on earth was his, was his knee pads pink too? Plus his chest is shiny. Like the, the, the pink is shiny. It looks like he's one giant fucking shiny mess. No thank you. I love though too that he only ever wore a jacket to the ring. Also, uh, number five. White suit honky. This guy's got a ton of balls wearing white. Everyone hates you and will no way protect you from the pants shitting that follows every major beating. All right, now we get into some hallowed ground of honky attire. Number four, I'm going all red honky next. It's a nice match with Jimmy Hart. I like the heartbreak hotel lingo on the back of the red tights. It's kind of a shame we never got a massive honky bloodletting. Oh, he would look great in red. His face is also always red. He's just a big red mess. Number three. Uh, I'll go with the jumpsuit with a picture of himself on it. I mean, this is a pretty classic. It's blue, but it's got him on it in white. Pretty classic honky look. I think my favorite part is the faux belt he wore around with it. Uh, he did this with his other suits too, but I found it more pronounced in this one. And then I love that sometimes he or Jimmy Hart would hold it up as though it were an actual championship title. Like, it, was it some sort of a protest that he was still the rightful intercontinental champion? What was he, was he under the impression that the match with the Ultimate Warrior didn't happen? Was it all the haze? Did he think it was unfair? Number two, light blue tights. Uh, I mean, this is when he wins the Intercontinental title in these tights, but I think they look cheap, but I want him to look cheap. Like, it's like he threw the outfit together like, and probably like argued with his wife. Like, but no, I am going out like that. Or her being like, look, please, nobody's going to believe you as Elvis. Just stay home and raise your fucking kids. I think his best look, though, is black and blue honky. I love the black tights with the blue writing. And it's not only because I imagine that black and blue was like the constant state of his body after multiple beatings. It just feels like formal wear. I mean, as formal as a guy can be wearing a jumpsuit and nothing but tights underneath, but whatever. Now, I may be wrong, too, but it seems like honky only had one shirt of him, which is like a picture of him dancing on a white shirt. I want to say this is a missed opportunity because... I mean, but maybe not. I mean, the man was so loathed that nobody's going to buy a shirt with a picture on it. I mean, if you were wrestling today, they'd be selling wigs and foam guitars and Peggy Sue fleshlights. His LJN figure in the wrestling figure, awful, awful. I think the sculpt is really cool. Like, this is the old rubber ones, right? Sculpt is really cool. Like today, a new one would be lovely to display. He's in one of his classic poses in a blue jumpsuit. Looks great. As a child, though, trying to play with this thing, it was fucking impossible. So the lapels on the jumpsuit and the flared pant legs, it's just a cumbersome mess. Like, how can, I, how can I have Tito Santana putting him in a figure four leg lock when I can't even bend his fucking legs? But worst of all, if you play with him long enough, 
or chew on him, his fucking face turns blue. Horrifying. Like, right? Like, I'm sure I have a messed up honky-tonk man in a crate in my closet. Fuck, I wish I took better care of my stuff. For his Hasbro figure, they went with the blue jumpsuit again. Uh, shake, rattle, and roll. This was, of course, uh, just his hand smashing downwards. I'm pretty sure I had him. Um, but no doubt I, he was sacrificed to trying to impress Andrea Patterson in my basement. Jax nailed him, though, with his classic superstars. He always looked great. And the Mattel Elite series have also brought the goods. I'm still waiting on a black and blue honky, though. So I think his presentation was, like, super strong for a while. But the problem was is it went down to zero. So, again, like every other category for the dude, he's kind of hard to rank. I'll go 6 out of 10, though. Give him the boost for his highs without taking away from too much of the punching bag that he became. Next category, feuds. Um, I think he probably scores higher here than I originally had anticipated. The feud with Jake is super personal. Uh, but, you know, I, you know, who wouldn't start? I'd start a feud with a guy, too, if he kept shoving a snake in my face. I think Honky is 100% justified in attacking him. He just lost a popularity contest. He's repeatedly asked for the man to stop putting the snake in his face. He's just there to sing. He's not there to look at snakes. And snakes, snakes are one of the most ungrateful audiences one can have, right? He should probably take solace in the fact this is the only feud that Honky won with any degree of certainty. Brutus Beefcake uh, is based around him trying to cut his hair. <laughs> Obviously, this became very, very, very personal uh, for Honky because, you know, he's got a problem with guys trying to jump up and cut his hair for some reason. Uh, then we got a warrior, less a feud, more of a complete pillaging of everything Honky held dear. But the feud with Savage is really great over something so simple. Who's the better intercontinental champion? Um, I love it. Honky starts attacking Randy's wife. It was molten and phenomenal. I, I liked it a lot. Um, I'm seeing more and more. The thing I'm learning a, a lot about this project is that a year of, of great work for me tends to easily erase three years of mundanity. Uh, I'm going five on 10 for feuds. Uh, last category, moments. Uh, I mean, we've talked a lot about them. Um, I think, again, we're, we're all in that window of like that two years, right? In those first two years. But the highs are so high. He gets to be the guy that beats Ricky Steamboat for the Intercontinental title. This is at the same time big. It's like a big and little deal. It's big in that Steamboat winning was like a massive moment in company history to that point. But little in the fact that they had so much spite for him. That he lost the title to Honky in under four minutes on Superstars. I mean, nothing ever happened on Superstars. Much less ending the title run of your number two babyface. The rain itself um, is a massive moment filled with all kinds of memorable stuff. Honestly, every time Honky's out it, it, during this era, it feels like an event. And I, I still laugh and smile every time. Every time. Even on random house shows, he's a heat magnet. Treating every audience as though they adored his every move. His best angle... Uh, gotta be the story with Savage. Hottest feud in the promotion. Carried tons of TV time, the fall of 87 to early 88. And like Honky's wasting time, uh, not Honky, Hogan's wasting time fighting Sika. Honky and Savage are tearing it up in the main event. Worst angle, probably Rhythm and Blues. I mean, I get that it's true to life. When you and your buddy have nothing to do, it's very possible that you'll form a band and have him dye his hair a ridiculous shade of black. And it's not even like it's a bad idea in theory. It's more... They team up and they're never higher than like the eighth most pushed team in the promotion. His single worst moment. I think it's the first match against Siviafi. I mean, they just hate him. He, he's, he's so miscast. He's like more miscast than Jake Lloyd. 
his single best moment, I think, has to be the post-match beating from the October 87 Saturday Night's main event. He and the Hart Foundation hold Randy Savage up and blast him with the guitar. Elizabeth throws herself. Honky grabs her, throws her down. In this moment, he, he ceases to be a joke and comes off as like the biggest piece of shit heel in the promotion. He looks like an absolute tyrant and is completely, a completely credible threat to like a main event guy. He probably coasted off this for like two years. I'm just going to say too, it's interesting to note that of the two 80s guys we've covered, both have their single greatest moment against Randy Savage. I'm going to see if that's a trend, but it's very possible it will be continue to be one. Anyway, I'm at, uh, in terms of moments, uh, I'm, I'm scoring this a 6 on 10. Um, I think it's very good. So here's where we're at with Honky. This, this look back with him has really enhanced my view um, as the for the Honky Talk Man as a professional wrestler. It also goes to show that as I get older and presumably wiser, match quality seems to pale in comparison to great character work. Honky's going to finish last of the four guys we've talked about so far, and I think that's fair since so much of his great stuff is connected to a short period. As it stands right now, Jake is in first with 76.356 points, then Batista was 63, Razor Ramon was 62, Honky comes in with 59.648. So really just two points behind Razor. And I think this would have seemed crazy at the outset of this. But Honky got it, man. And to this day, I can still look back and find him entertaining. And each time I look back, I find new layers to his character. I think he suffers from narcissistic personality disorder. He has all the symptoms. He's, he's grandiose. He shows no empathy. He makes everything about him. But really, his most impressive attribute is the way in which he's able to interpret boos as cheers. And I know that might seem like an old hat, like, oh no, like an old trick, right? But Honky was the master of it. He, he wasn't afraid to show ass, whether it be in the ring or as a character. In doing so, he built huge stars and brought incredible teams together. He was the most annoying wrestler on TV every Saturday morning. He was the picture of injustice. And his dance party should go down as the best in company history. Put some respect on Honky. Guys like him are needed to round out a card and build programs with your top guys. The fact that he was an incredible unforgettable performer is the cherry on top of this cool, cocky, and bad Sunday. Next time on The Wrestler That Was, we head down the highway for one of the most important players of the 1990s. He has highs and lows and nearly tanks the promotion. See you then. Now we get into a little thing called honky talk with a man from Memphis, Tennessee, a man I'm not familiar with, a man who calls himself the Honky Tonk Man. 
What's going down, honky tonk man? First of all, Mr. Morocco, let me say this. I like to stand up when I talk to you. When I'm out here on your magnificent moment, I like to be standing up because a honky tonk man likes to move around. He likes to twist and shout. You know what I'm saying? I come from Memphis, Tennessee. It's a home of rock and roll. It's a home of lots of good wrestling fans, just like this great nation right here. And what the honky-tonk man says is I got up this morning, I jumped in the Mississippi River, and I swam halfway to the Great Lakes just to get here, Mr. Morocco. And while I was swimming, I was thinking. I was thinking about what I need to say up here on your magnificent moment tonight. And what I need to say is this, that I got some good friends in the WWF, and they said, honky-tonk man, you better beware. You better watch out for people like Don Morocco. They said, don't let him insult you out here on this magnificent Morocco's moments. They said, don't let him say a word, because if he talks, he's going to say something funny. Well, we don't like people making fun of nobody. You know what I'm saying? But the honky-tonk man likes to say this right now. My friend, my special friend in the WWF that sent me here on this mission, Mr. Morocco, you'll be glad to hear you this. You have a I friend? Know. I got four or five of them, and he was named Hulk. Hulk Hogan's my friend. He sent me and said, watch you because you're a bad guy. Well, everybody's over to see. Come back here. I'm not finished with you. Mercy, mercy, mercy. Shake, ground, and roll all over the WWF. No, this honky-tonk man, he's got it all together, dudes. This guy trains, says his prayers, and eats his vitamins. And I think he's going to rock and roll this whole WWF. About, uh, well, the way the fans were reacting to him, and the Honky Talk Man asked for a vote of confidence from you. Here's a little bit of that conversation. You know, when my music plays, Jesse, the body, people should be standing up screaming and shouting. They should be dancing in the aisles right now. They should be shake, rattling, rolling, but they're not doing it. And I don't understand it because I've done everything a man can do to make the people in the World Wrestling Federation appreciate good talent. And I don't understand. I'm looking for something. I don't know what I need. Maybe I need a sign from somewhere. I'm a looking vote for of confidence or something. A vote of confidence is just what the honky-tonk man needs. I need it real bad. All right, so for the benefit of those of you who would like to vote for Honky Tonk Man, either yay or nay, you either like his style or you don't like his style, you may do so by simply casting your vote to Honky Tonk Man. A vote of confidence, P.O. Box 1334, Stamford, Connecticut, 06904. I'm here with the Honky Tonk Man, and Honky Tonk Man, the time is at hand. The votes have come into the World Wrestling Federation on the big issue. Do they approve of you or do they disapprove of you? And let me tell you right now, 674,383 votes were cast, Honky Tonk Man, by the World Wrestling Federation fans. Woo, that makes me feel good. I knew they loved me, Jesse. I knew the World Wrestling Federation people. I knew they'd vote for the Honky Tonk Man. I knew I could persuade them. I knew they'd wait, wait, the wait, way wait, I wait, wait a minute. I said 674,000 votes were yeah, cast, that's Honky right, Tonk That's right, that's right. That's yeah. what you said. But... Only 71,111 voted that they liked you, that they digged they you. They did what? 603,000 people said the honky-tonk man, we don't dig your style, no. we don't oh, like no, your greaseball right. hair. Not right. Take a walk I, back to Podunk, Tennessee. I don't think you got the figures right, Jesse. That can't be true. That's the truth, man. It as can't sorry be true. as it is, that's I'm, the truth. I, that's it. I'm going right now to that big fat tunny, and I'm going to get to the bottom of this. Whoa. The man is upset. The honky-tonk man, by the wishes of the fans, they don't dig it. I don't think the grease ball can handle that.
The honky-tonk man went to Jack Tunney. I went to the big fat man's office and I counted all the votes because I couldn't believe it. I could not believe that the honky-tonk man would be let down. I couldn't believe after I pleaded and I kissed babies with puke on their mouth. I shook greasy, nasty hands. I did all those things to get the vote of confidence. And I didn't get it. And I sat down, I counted every vote. And I came up on the short end. It's true, I came up on the short end because you didn't appreciate me. But I'm going to tell you this right now. The honky-tonk man can do some jaw-jacking and back-cracking. And I promise you right now that there's going to be a big, big surprise for y'all. I'm not going to take any more of it. I'm not going to have any more kissing babies. I'm not going to shake any more hands. I'm going to walk by and slap some babies, maybe. I'm going to walk by and hit some... I'm going to throw some men up in the ring, maybe, and do a tap dance on their head because I can be just as mean and nasty as anybody else around here. That's what you want from the honky-tonk man. That's what you're going to get because you deserve it now. You deserve it all. <laughs> if I can't help falling in love with you Surely to the sea, darling, so it goes. Some things are meant to be. Some things are meant to be